with that, we're going to bring Beck up to read our scripture. We're going to be in Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 28. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, uh, let's please stand as we give attention to God's holy word. Luke 11, 14. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. But some of them said, He cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when One stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him. He takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. Whenever it is not with, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which you nursed. But he said, Blessed, rather, are those who hear the Word of God and keep it. This is the Word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Father, we thank You for the Word of the Lord. And even unusual and unexpected passages like this, Lord, we pray for the Holy Spirit to give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning. And I do also pray for everyone in here, Lord, that You who began a good work in them will complete it. Lord, as I said, in a group this size, we know there are some that are are coming in here on green pastures and things are going great, and for that we praise you. We rejoice with those who rejoice. And we also know that there might be some walking through a valley and we want to weep with those who weep. And so, Lord, we pray by your Spirit that you would give faith to those who are doubting, that you give hope to those who are in despair and give encouragement to those who are downcast and give joy to those who are dejected. And the good news is, is there's no mountains to climb, no hoops to jump through, just an invitation to be accepted. And it's found in your son, Jesus Christ, life, death, and resurrection. And my prayer is that everyone in here knows you as the Jesus, the King, the Lord of our house, of their house, personally. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. Well, I've got a question here for you. Who in here likes surprises? Unexpected surprises. Go ahead and raise your hand. All right? Some of us do. Okay, who doesn't like surprises? Go ahead and raise your hand. Well, for me, it kind of depends, right? It, it, it depends if I like 
unexpected surprises or not. Like, first of all, I'm not a fan of getting a call from my daughter who's in Florida saying I just got in a car accident, right? That happened a couple weeks ago. Not a fan of that, that surprise, right? Uh, I'm not a fan of getting unexpected news that maybe someone in the body here has gotten stage four cancer. We, we don't like that surprise. Or, or maybe even someone in the, you know, their family has died and we need to use this place as a for the funeral. We, we, we don't like that. I don't like those kind of unexpected surprises, but there are some I do. I do like getting that unexpected surprise check that comes in the mail that maybe we paid a little bit too much medically here or for tuition. Anyone with me? Who likes unexpected surprise checks arriving in the mail? Oh, just me? Okay, a couple of us. All right, here we go. Uh, I am a fan of when I come home from work and my wife says, hey, I got a date planned for us. Amen? Now, I hope that she's here. She's teaching in children's ministry, so I want her to hear that, hint, hint, so someone in here can go encourage her that I said that, all right? And I am a fan of being on the surprising end of celebrating, right, great life events like anniversaries, 50-year-old anniversaries or, or birthdays. I, I like that. And sometimes I don't mind being on the receiving end of that because that actually means that people like you. So that's a good thing, right, when people show up. Well, this morning we get an unexpected surprise from an unusual text. And this is why I love going through books of the Bible. This is why we go through books of the Bible because we have to preach through verses and texts like this. If we were just doing topical and hobby horse sermons, most of us would never preach this text. But because we believe that you need to go through books of the Bible, that we get this great surprise. Uh, It it comes with a a surprise warning and a surprise blessing. And again, these are not just a surprise, but it's some of the greatest surprises regarding warnings and blessings in all the Bible. And we would not expect it to come from this text, but it does. So let's dive in. First, we see an unexpected warning by Jesus. It's in Luke chapter 11, 14 through 26. We'll spend the majority of our time in this point because it has the most verses, eight verses. Now, as you guys know, we've made a transition in Luke chapter 9 where Jesus has now set his face towards Jerusalem. He's been having a public ministry, and he's been going over all over northern uh, Jerusalem, Galilee area, northern, northern um, Israel in the Galilee region, and he's preaching, and he's proclaiming, and he's, and he's healing people. People, and he's preaching with authority, and he's casting out demons, and, and, and now he's getting down, his face is set towards Jerusalem. He's going to the cross, and it kind of goes from a public ministry to a private ministry, and over the last three messages in Luke, we've seen Jesus dial in with his disciples and say, hey, you're going you're gonna to follow me. If you're going to be a disciple, this is what you're going to have to carry on when I leave. This is the, the, the baton you're going to have to carry, and he says, you're going to have to be a good neighbor. If you're a disciple of Christ, you've been transformed by the gospel, you have to be a good neighbor. And not only that, you have to keep the main thing the main thing. There are a lot of good things out there, but we saw with Mary and Martha, uh, we want to do and and give ourselves to what is the best thing, and that is to sit at the feet of Jesus. And then a couple weeks ago, we looked at how disciples, how we should pray. What does it look like for us to engage God through prayer? And now Luke reminds us that, hey, those are all good, but don't forget that you're in a spiritual battle. And this takes us back to remind us of when uh, Jesus first came on the scene and started his ministry in Luke 4.13. 
in his temptation in the wilderness, it said, after the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until another opportune time. So one thing that shouldn't take us by surprise as Christians is that we're in a spiritual battle, that there's an enemy out there that wants to steal, kill, and destroy and wants to harm you. And so here is one of those opportune times where Satan again attacks Jesus, and he attacks him through some people that you might not expect to be opposed to Jesus. So let's look at this. Look at verse 14. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. And when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. So, he, so Jesus is just casting out demons, and, and here's one where this demon has made this man mute, and Jesus casts him out, and the people marvel. Now we could say that, thank the Lord, that this demon possession was a mute demon, right? Because it's never good when demons speak. And so it's good that this demon was a mute demon. This guy was just couldn't speak. Now, this is an important observation in this text. Not all sicknesses, not all diseases, not all physical elements are well physical. Do you see that in this text? Here, the man's muteness is a spiritual issue. It's not a physical issue. It's a spiritual issue. That is the root cause of this man's muteness. He is possessed by a demon that causes him not to be able to speak. And so you and I need to observe this and have a category of this in our spiritual walk, in our spiritual journey, how we interact on a daily basis. That not everything we encounter is physical. I want you to think about this. Do you think what Hitler did in the Holocaust in the 1940s was purely physical or mental? Or what the KKK did to black Americans in the 1950s or 60s? Or what causes men to fly a plane into the two towers? Or what Hamas does and did do to women and babies? Or what Kermit Gosnell, America's greatest serial killer, man who cared hundreds if not thousands of aborted babies, some of them living? That all this can be explained by mere physical or mental capacities? No, atrocities like this are demonic. There's a spiritual aspect where these individuals are either possessed or heavily influenced by Satan. Think of human trafficking. Think of abuse of children. They're not merely physical. And we need to have this grid. We need to have this category when we engage in the world because Scripture gives us, the Holy Spirit gives us this category. So when you look at this world, not only should we be saying like, yeah, that's, it could be physical or that could be mental, but also there could be spiritual. Remember when we went through Ephesians chapter 8 in the battle, spiritual warfare, that not our warfare is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the powers. And the, those are the demons, the unseen realm that we are also engaged in battling. Listen, Satan has given us his plan in John 10. The thief, him, Satan, has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And there's no pattern, there's no method, there's no rhyme, there's no reason. His goal is to just unleash carnage on this world as much as possible. And how does he typically do that? Get this. This is something the world doesn't want to hear. He typically does this through demon possession or heavily influenced through people who don't know Jesus. That's who he uses. 
That's what we just detailed in the examples I've given you. He uses people that don't know Jesus to kill, steal, and destroy, as well as other ailments. So brothers and sisters, the unseen realm, the spiritual warfare that we are in is real and we engage it on a daily basis. And that's why we need to be, as Scripture says, alert. That's why we need to be, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, that we need to put on the armor of God. And it begins with us praying. And it begins then standing firm against the enemy. So notice that observation. Spiritual unseen realm is real and has massive impact on your life and my life. So Jesus, understanding this, releases the oppression of this man by casting out this mute demon. And it says that multiple multitudes marvel. Most everyone marvels except for a couple groups, which he lists in verse 15, the first group. But some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons... That's the first group. The second group in verse 16, while others to test him keep seeking from him a sign from heaven. We'll deal with this group next week in verses 29 through 36. So who is this first group? Well, this account is also in Matthew's, uh, Matthew's account and Mark's accounts in Matthew chapter 12 and Mark chapter 3. And this group, Mark tells us, is the Jewish relig- religious leaders, the first group. And that's the shock. That's the surprise for Jesus. It's like, wait a second. If there's anyone on planet earth that should recognize the Messiah of who I am, it should be the Pharisees and the scribes. They're the experts in the law. And yet, this is the group that is opposing Jesus. And this group is not, again, they're in the northern part of Israel, in the Galilee region, going down to Jerusalem. This group of Pharisees and scribes are not the local Pharisees and scribes. These are the big dogs. These are the boys that are coming from HQ, the headquarters of Jerusalem the ones who are leading the nation Israel in worshiping Yahweh. That is who is sent. And they have come to see, not to, not to gain information on who this Jesus is, but they've come to make a declaration. They've come to make a statement. They've come to give an official position on Jesus, and their statement and official position is, Jesus is conspiring with Satan. Jesus is in cahoots with the prince of demons, Beelzebub. Now, who is Beelzebub? This name that's been mentioned over and over again. Well, it has a number of interpretive variations throughout Scripture. You have to go all the way back to 2 Kings chapter 1, where it is tied back to uh, Baal. But it also can be just uh, interpreted as the house, uh, the Lord of the house, the Lord of filth, the Lord of hostile spirits. Uh, the Lord of flies. I mean, I don't know about you, but I hate flies. Who in here likes flies? Those are the most annoying creatures on the planet Earth are flies. And Mark ultimately, Matthew, Mark, and Luke ultimately attributes this prince with Satan. And so this is a massive indictment on Jesus, a massive statement from the religious leaders. And notice this also they're not denying Jesus' power. They're not denying his, his ability to cast out demons and these exorcisms. They're, again, they're not denying that Jesus has a supernatural power, and now there's only two categories to attribute this power to, to God the Father or to Satan, and they choose to attribute his power towards Satan. 
I mean, just stop and think about how crazy that is. Jesus just heals this man, casts out this demon that has been tormenting him, has done something good. Imagine you seeing an individual drowning. There's a crowd and you jump into the lake, you swim out there, you pull this man out, you resuscitate this man, and he lives. You save his life. And the people around saying, man, that's wicked. You just did that. The devil made you do that. It's like, what? It doesn't make sense. Actually, it makes no sense. This is utter foolishness. So why did they do this? Because they were afraid. They saw their power starting to erode. They started people flocking to Jesus and coming underneath His ministry. And so they ca- that caused them to harden their hearts towards Jesus. And then they accused the very Son of God, their own Messiah, of doing the devil's work. There's not a greater insult in all of Scripture than what you find here from the Pharisees, the ones who should know better. They are saying their Messiah is a double agent for Satan. Well, Jesus sets the record straight with His own statement. We see this in verse 17. But He, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid the waste, and the divided house falls. It's an obvious truism. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Answer, it will not. For you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub. Again, Jesus is pointing out the obvious truth that a house divided, a kingdom divided, if there's division in there, if there's disunity, it's going to fall apart. It's like you're sitting on a tree, tree limb, and then you start cutting the tree limb you're sitting on. It doesn't make sense. It's counterproductive. Again, this is obvious, and, 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 and we know this truth. We, we, we have experienced this truth right now. We're, we're coming up to an election year coming up, and we feel the division of our country. And if our country keeps going down this disunity, this division, we're, we're going to be laid to waste. We know this at that macro level, but we also know it at the simplest level in the family. We also, some of you have experienced this firsthand in your family where mom and dad, there's disunity, there's division. And because of that, the, it ended in divorce. Disunity destroys nations, disunity destroys family. Abraham Lincoln said a couple years before the Civil War when he was a senator that Again, quoting Jesus, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Jesus saying, what you have just accused me of is madness. It's madness. And then Jesus gets personal. Look at verse 19. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, who do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. The, the Jews had a kind of deliverance ministry sect of the Jewish faith. You can read about it in Acts 19.13. And just like some denominations here, like the Catholic Church, I read some articles this week on, you know, certain priests have these, you know, these are, are exorcists. They, they have minor exorcisms and major ones. And this is their ministry. They go around casting out demons, or the, which are major, and do some other minor things. And Jesus is saying, but what standard are you judging me, guys? If your own people cast out demons by the power of God, why am I doing it out of the power of Satan? He's pointing out the inconsistency of their accusation. But then he goes in verse 20. But if it is by the finger of God, then I 
cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And so Jesus is challenging them. Your people that do exorcism, it's by God's power. But when I do it, it's from Satan. Why is that? I want you to circle that phrase, the finger of God. It's an incredible phrase. And the Sadducees, the, the Pharisees, and the scribes so will be very, very familiar with that phrase, from finger of God, because that's going to take them back to the Exodus. It's going to take them back when Moses was confronting Pharaoh and his musicians with the ten plagues. And, and, and here we have Moses confronting Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And Pharaoh's hardened his heart and said, no, I'm not. So the first plague is what? He turns the Nile into blood. Pharaoh still hardens his heart. The second plague is what? A bunch of frogs show up all over the place. Then the third plague is that of gnats. And Pharaoh keeps hardening his heart, hardening his heart. And the, musician, the, uh, the magicians uh, that are, are on Pharaoh's side trying to duplicate and stop what Moses is doing says this in Exodus 8.19. The power that Moses is exercising is the very finger of God. And this is what Jesus is saying. The power that I am exercising over the spiritual realm is the very finger of God. Not Satan, of God, of Yahweh. And he points out to these Pharisees and scribes, he says, look, the pagan musician, uh, musicians, ma- uh, magicians, keep on, magicians recognize the power of God through Moses. And he, here you are, the experts in the law. And you deny it. You can't recognize it because your hearts are just as hard as Pharaoh's. So Jesus turns the table on them. Listen, Jesus coming, their Messiah coming, should have been the greatest joy that they've ever experienced, but they turn it into the greatest tragedy because of their pride and their hardness of hearts. They are denying that the arrival of the kingdom of God and that their own Messiah standing right in front of them, they accuse him again of being in cahoots with Satan. Well, Jesus keeps on going after he makes his announcement and he doesn't give them time to respond. He gives them this parable. And I love this because Jesus is now announcing to them who he really is. And here we see that he gives an unexpected unexpected surprise in a warning and a blessing. Look at verse 21. When the strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides the spoils. And so this is what Jesus is saying. I'm going to give you this parable. He said there's a house and there's a strong man inside the house. But when a stronger man comes in and overtakes the strong man in the house, he does what he wants. He takes what he wants. And here Jesus is saying the strong man in this parable is Satan. And the stronger man is me. I am the stronger man. I am Jesus. I am the one who is stronger and I have come to plunder Satan's house. I've come to attack him. I've come to overcome him. And I'm going to take whatever I want. And there's nothing Satan can do. Satan is about is going to put up a fight just as much as like a paper plate in the campfire. It's just not going to go well for him. Jesus is the stronger man. And this is an incredible blessing for you and for me. What Jesus is saying is, I have come. 
and upon my arrival, the kingdom of God has come. And what I have been doing is I've been showing you that I am the Messiah. I am the Savior. I am the one who has come to set the captives free from Satan and his rule as a wicked housemaster. So I have come and I have overtaken him. And this is what happens, again, when the kingdom of God arrives in Jesus. Through the proclamation of the good news, through the power of the Holy Spirit, men, women, and children like you and me will be set free from the power, the dominion, and the rule of Satan. The spoils in which Jesus takes is you and me, is people. Now some translate this into the house of Israel, and they go back to Isaiah Isaiah 49, But we bring this into the new covenant where Jesus is not here just for Israel, but he's for all people. And so when Jesus plunders the house of Satan, he saves you and me. We are the spoils that Jesus sets free. And he transfers us over from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. In Mark's account on this very, right after uh, Jesus gives this parable, it says this in Mark 3.28, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of men, whatever blasphemes and whatever blasphemes they utter. Total forgiveness because Jesus has saved us. Did you guys hear that this morning? Some of you come in here with a weight of guilt, a weight of condemnation. You've been saved by Jesus, but you still are letting kind of Satan kind of get in there, not to possess you, but kind of influence you and and speak false truths to you. This is where you need to stand. You have been freed from His power. You walk in freedom. You walk in no condemnation. You are a new creature in Christ. Never forget this. You have been freed by King Jesus and you now live under His roof in His rules, in His ways. And that is full of grace and mercy and truth. Because of this, John 4, 4, uh, 1 John 4, 4 says, Greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. We just sang about this in the song, You Are Stronger. You are stronger. You are stronger. Sin is broken. You have saved me. It is written. Christ is risen. Jesus, you are Lord of all. He's my Lord. He's your Lord. He is your good master. And here's what's even cool. Not only does He save us from something, but He saves us to something. He then, not only does He save us, but then He puts us on the saving team. And not only is Jesus now plundering Satan's house and building His kingdom, but He's using you and me to do that. We are His ambassadors. We are the ones that carry the gospel to those who don't know Jesus. We are the ones that proclaim the good news. People repent and believe. Jesus uses you. It's incredible. It's an incredible joy. It's an incredible mercy. It's an incredible privilege. So I want you to do this. Simple application. Next couple months, we got Christmas coming up. Next couple months, I want you to write down five or ten names of people who don't know Jesus in your life. Where you live, where you work, where you learn, where you play. Because right now, whether they understand it or not, they are under the, the reign and rule. They are pawns of Satan. You know this because you have your eyes can see. You have been once blind, but now you see. And now you can start praying for them. 
praying for times to open up to invite them to, to church on Sunday for Christmas. So be offensive in your prayers. Be offensive that you understand that there are those that are spiritually oppressed and the only way that they're going to be set free is by you sharing Jesus with them. Jesus could set them free by using you as their vessel. So pray for those individuals for the next couple months. And then when it comes to our Christmas service, invite them and see what the Lord might do. So Jesus is the stronger man. He conquers Satan, and he saves you and me. And next we see in verse 24 kind of this unexpected, even more warning, and it's a chilling warning. It's a, it's a chilling warning. Look at verse 24. When the unclean spirit had gone out of a person, it passes through the wireless places and seeks rest and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I come. And when I come, it finds a house swept and put in order. Then it goes back and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. And what Jesus is describing here is what actually happens to say like this person in in verse 14. Jesus casts out the demon of this individual. At that point, that person, that individual is in his most vulnerable state. Because at that point, if that man doesn't or that woman doesn't invite Jesus to be Lord of his or her house, then that that demon can come back. And when he comes back, he brings his boys with him. And it's going to be just as worse. And so Jesus says, when I free somebody, if that person doesn't ask me to come in to be the Lord of their house, that person could end up worse than before. So in other words, Jesus is the only Lord who can free you and keep you. And once Christ is in you, once you repent and trust in Christ, and you are given His Holy Spirit, and now you are a temple of the living God that can never be defiled again by Satan. You are free from that. But if that doesn't describe you, you are in a vulnerable state right now. Hear Jesus' chilling warning to you. And take it seriously. And you're like, well, I'm not possessed. No, you're not, but you're open to it. And the enemy might just use you. And the only way you can be sure not to is by again inviting Jesus to be Lord of your house. Again, he goes on in verse 23. Jesus says, whoever is, not, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. What Jesus is saying is there's no neutrality when it comes to him. You're either with Him or you're against Him. I want you to hear that again this morning. And you might say, I'm not a Christian, but I'm also following Satan either. And again, hear Jesus' words. He says, if you are not with me, you are against me. Whether you acknowledge it or not, Jesus is, is telling you that. There's no fence sitting. I heard a illustration about 20 years ago and it just really resonated with me regarding this it's a, it's a it's an illustration regarding a fence and people sitting on the fence and it goes like this there was a there's a fence and on one side you have Jesus calling people to himself and people are repenting and trusting in him and following him they're they're running towards grace they're running towards truth they're running towards love they're running towards peace they're running towards mercy but then you have this other group 
where Satan is calling them and they're running to him. And then as the time goes by, you see the fields kind of disperse and Jesus and his people go off and Satan and his people go off. But there's one man that did not join either group. He, he climbed and he just sat on the fence. And now he's all alone. Then all of a sudden, Satan comes back and he sees the man sitting there and the man says, have you lost something? And Satan looks at him straight and replies, oh, there you are. You come with me. And the man said, whoa, 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 whoa. I sat on the fence because I don't choose you or I don't choose Jesus. And Satan says, well, that's okay because I own that fence. And he took the man. There's no neutrality when it comes to Jesus. See, there, there, there's probably a couple of you in here, and we are so glad you guys are here, who love the fellowship of the crossing, who love the people of the crossing, because you see there's something different about these people. They love you. They genuinely care for you. They want to serve you. They want to, they want to see you come to Jesus, so they, they just invite you and they love you. But you haven't surrendered to the Father of the crossing. You surrender to the fellowship, but you haven't, you haven't surrendered to the Father. And today we beg you to surrender to the Father of the crossing. To surrender to God the Father through Jesus Christ. To experience freedom. To experience peace. To experience joy, satisfaction, security. For the first time, maybe forevermore. Repent of your sins and trust in Jesus. He is the stronger man who has come to set you free. So go with Him. So that's, that's first, the unexpected warning. Second, we see an unexpected blessing from Jesus in Luke eleven twenty-seven through 28. Look at verse 27. And as He said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to Him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nurse. Now there are some that didn't get it, but this woman gets it. This woman understands who Jesus is, and, and though Jesus has to redirect her worship a little bit, because she goes directly back to Mary and says, blessed is Mary, and Mary is blessed because she did give birth to Jesus, but that's when her blessing stops. She's just like any other woman in here, has the ability to give birth. And this is where Jesus redirects her in verse 28. You see, again, Mary is unique. She is uh, blessed because she gave birth to Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior. That only, that only happened one time. But in the end, she, like all other women, have to deal with her own sin and not see Jesus as her son, but she needs to see Jesus as her Savior. And so Je Jesus says, yes and amen, woman, but let me direct you. He says in verse tw uh, 28, but blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Not those who look to my physical family, but those who look to my spiritual family and God the Father. And Jesus straight up says, if you hear God's word and keeps it, you're going to be blessed. You guys believe that? Do you guys believe that? Do you want to be blessed this morning? I want to be blessed this morning. Who in here wants to be blessed this morning? I mean, everyone should raise their hand. We should all want to be blessed this morning, right? Yes and amen. Jesus tells us how to. Listen to His Word. Keep His Word. 
Now, we know we can't do that perfectly, but that should be the trajectory, the desire of our heart. Listen, if you have received Christ, you are a new creation. He has given you new heart, a new desire, new passions, and your passion is to follow Him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And it begins with love. Jesus, John says in John 14, if you love me, then you'll keep my commandments. So it begins with love. And this isn't earning salvation. You're already saved. And now this is the fruit of salvation. This is your fruit of loving the Lord as you follow him. And I follow him. That is our desire. See, we all know, we all know this truth. It's a simple truth. It's not like hidden. We know it. Like we want to love God. We want to follow his word. We want to walk in obedience. We want to walk in holiness, empowered by his spirit, encouraged in community. We know this to be true. Because we also understand that the majority of the suffering, the pain, the frustration in my life, in your life, and that we cause in other people's lives is when we disobey God's Word, right? It's never when we obey God's Word. Because God's Word brings blessing. And it's been this way since Adam and Eve disobeyed. I had a, I had a good friend uh, in New Mexico, still a friend. He's an NFL referee. And... Um, we were talking, and on the, on the field, professionally, his, his life is going incredibly well. He's one of the top officials in the NFL. But apart from the field, his professional life, his personal life was in shambles, was a wreck. And one day he's sitting on his couch, and over the fireplace, he's looking at his man, and he sees his Bible, and he sees the NFL kind of rules and regulations book. And the NFL book is like torn to shreds. It's barely holding together. And his Bible looks brand new. And that would be cool if he just bought it yesterday, but he got it like three years ago. And the Holy Spirit convicted him at that point. And he says, man, if I was to put as much time and effort that I do in learning the NFL rule book, what might the Lord do in my life if I did that with his word? So he started to do that. You know what happened? He still was a great official on the field, but off the field, his life made a U-turn, and the Lord began blessing him. Because that's what Scripture does. That's what God's Word does. This is God's Word. I mean, think about whatever profession you're in right now. If you had the greatest, most influential, most wisest guy or gal in that possession, uh, in that uh, profession, and you got the ability to come and sit at their feet, wouldn't you? And wouldn't you go and just sit and say, like, give me, listen, listen, give me whatever you got. I'm here to listen. I'm here to take notes. We have the God of the universe that has given us his word. The all-powerful, the all-knowing, the ever-present, everywhere God who has spoke and created this world and everything in it and has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness is in this book. We just want to sit at his feet. Because this is what Scripture does. It reminds us and imparts the knowledge and understanding of doctrine, which is what we know about God, and the wisdom on how to apply that doctrine on what we know about God. So where we're ignorant, it gives us knowledge. Where we're in despair, it gives us hope. When we're confused, it gives us clarity. When we lack discernment, it gives us wisdom. When we're sad, it gives us joy. When When we're insecure, it gives us security. When we're Lost, it gives us direction. When we are anxious, it gives us peace. Brothers and sisters, this is God's Word to you and me. If your life is unraveling, open it up and watch Him do a work.
Watch Him begin to move by the power of His Spirit in your life and watch your life change and become more blessed. And when I talk about bless, I'm not necessarily talking about financial blessings, although that may be true. God can and will and does do that. But in the ESV, I think the word bless, blessed or bless is used like a hundred plus times in the Gospel of Luke. I think it's in Luke. And every time it has nothing to do with monetary value. The blessing has to do with like it is here. When you keep and obey my word, you will be blessed. It doesn't assign monetary value to it, although it could. So what does it mean to be blessed? It means as we ingest God's Word, become more and more like Christ Jesus. And we love like Him. We serve like Him. We give grace like Him. We give mercy like Him. So the blessing that we receive from God's Word is becoming more and more in the image of Christ. So here's my question to you this morning. This is a question I have to ask myself. What's on your mantle? What are you giving more attention to than God's Word? Because if we believe this is God's Word, outside of the Gospel in Christ, and there's nothing more important than God's Word that we should be intaking. So what's on your mind? What, what changes do you need to make in your life to consume, to meditate, to get around God's Word, God's teaching? What, what, what decisions, what daily routines do you need to shake up in your own daily routines to get God's Word in you? And listen to me, it doesn't need to be some massive jump. It doesn't need to be so drastic. It can be daily, consistent steps. Just like with your finances or when you go and work out. Like finances, you... You put a little bit away every week, every month, and next thing you know, every year, you're building up. By the time you get to retirement, you have this nice lump sum. Physically, you work out each day. You're disciplined with your diet. You go in, you, you work on this body part this week and that body part next week, and through consistency over time, you, 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 you see your gains, you see your growth. It's the same spiritually with God's Word. It begins with small steps. Five minutes, ten minutes, work your way up to 30 minutes or whatever the Lord, however He convicts you to get into God's Word, however it works out in your life. But make sure it's a consistent aspect of your life, that you are digesting God's Word. I love what Spurgeon says. I remind myself over and over again, you hear me quote this all the time, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to a person who is not. So beloved, let us be people of the book. Let's consume God's Word. He is the master of our house. He is the Lord of our lives. And He wants to hear from you. And how He hears from us is through prayer. And we want to engage Him. We want to hear from Him. And how do we hear from Him? Through opening up His Word. So again, let us be people of the book and receive God's blessing through God's Word. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this little section of Scripture. We see an unexpected warning and an unexpected blessing from this unusual text. And I pray that everyone in here knows you as their Lord of the house. And if there's anyone in here that doesn't, Lord, that today would be the day of salvation. Today they would see their need for you to come in to lead God and direct them, to be secure once and forevermore. 
by repenting of their sins and trusting in your life, your death, and your resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.